Hi, I'm Rudy Pamantuan, president of the Nevada Republican Club, and thank you for joining us uh, here on our limited online series, Election 2022, Meet the Candidates. Our candidate today is the amazing, my friend, Drew Johnson, running for uh, county commissioner in district, what district? F, as in for F. F, district F. How are you, Drew? Thanks for joining us today. I'm great. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. All right. So, so Drew, you're originally not from Nevada. So tell us the story. You, you moved here how long ago? I've been in Nevada for eight years. Uh, the reason that we moved to Southern Nevada is because uh, my wife and I were in, uh, we were in DC at the time. I'm a, um, a government waste expert, a watchdog. I, I, I write columns and work at think tanks and do all the sort of DC stuff. Uh, but we could live anywhere. And we chose to live in Clark County, because we'd always heard that, you know, is it low taxes, really business friendly? And my wife has a small business. And so we moved here uh, to live that dream. And we got here and it turned out that it isn't quite as business friendly as we hoped it would be. But uh, we love living here. We're really glad that we chose to come to uh, to Clark County. Uh, but originally I'm from Tennessee uh, to answer that question. You're from Tennessee. So you so you grew up in Tennessee. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and 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 what your story is. Sure. So I am from a little town called Johnson City, which is in really far east Tennessee. Uh, it's probably best known from a, uh, a couple of country songs, but uh, it uh, it's a place in rural Appalachia. So when you hear the stories of, of moonshine and hollers and Dolly Parton and, and, and that sort of stuff, that's kind of where I'm from. I grew up in a trailer. I had a single mom who worked two jobs. Sometimes she worked three jobs, worked at Walmart during the day, and then she'd go clean offices at night to make ends meet for me and my sister. And there were times that we didn't know what we we're going to eat for our next meal. Uh, there were times that uh, a lot of times I remember the power being shut off and things like that. So it wasn't always easy, but my mom really ingrained in me the value of a dollar, how important it was to work hard, how important it was to get an education. And I saw the people who sort of made their way to a better life than we had uh, were people who worked hard, got a good education. And I'll give my mom a lot of credit. She actually would drive me. She lied about my address uh, and used my grandmother's address so that I would be zoned for a better school. And she drove about an hour and a half uh, throughout the day to drop me and my sister off at a better school. And because of that, I was able to uh, go to college because the, the school I was zoned for has like a 9% uh, college acceptance rate for graduating seniors. So that's not really what happens if you're in that school district. Uh, but you know, I think what led me along the path that I'm that I'm on is um, there are a lot of government programs that try to help places like rural Appalachia. It's sort of like think of it like an inner city, really. You know, we're going to solve these problems. We're going to get everybody out of poverty and they never work. And so once I realized that when I was in college, I went to grad school for public policy. I really decided to devote my life to the things that did work, which is giving people more individual liberty, reducing taxes, making sure that government doesn't waste our money, making sure that government respects our uh, our individual liberties and our rights. And so with that background, that sort of inspired my career. I mean, do you think, I mean, you, obviously you come from this hardworking, humble background and it's amazing uh, what your mom has done. And, you know, it's, it's almost, you look at what's going on with high inflation, high costs, right? High fuel prices. I mean, do you find some relevance with some of the folks that you meet with when you knock on the doors and, and what's the message you have for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think right now a lot of people are struggling. I mean, I, I have some really rural districts, uh, areas in my district that kind of remind me of where I'm from. 
Um, but when I'm knocking on doors, I see people who are frustrated. I see people who are trying to figure out how to make ends meet, how you know they can stay in the house they're in, how they can keep their car. And what frustrates me the most is that people don't understand how impactful the Clark County Commission is to your bottom line, to your pocketbook. And the county commissioners, rather than doing things that would help these people, have made it even more difficult to make a living. And I'll give some examples. So the county commission controls uh, sales tax, they control property tax, they control gas tax. One thing that they did very recently is increase our sales tax. So right when we were in the middle of the pandemic, when most people were out of work, when we could afford it the least, when inflation was starting to creep up, when gas prices were going crazy, Justin Jones, my opponent, uh, led a charge to keep a sales tax that was going to fall off the books. And he said, we need the money worse than you do. And a, a couple other examples. So he also led the charge in shutting down all these small businesses in Clark County, having worse regulations, more stringent regulations than the state had. But he made it so that here in Clark County, you have to go through 23 different steps, pay three different fees just to open a taco cart or a hot dog stand or some very, very small business. And that sort of thing is not only keeping people from living their American dream because you have to have a, a CPA and an attorney and you know hundreds of thousands of dollars just to open a business that might get you thirty or forty thousand dollars a year, but also all those costs of starting those businesses and operating those businesses are passed along to everybody else. So if we're going to buy a hamburger, if we're going to buy a car, whatever it is, those costs are passed along to us. And the county commission doesn't think about those consequences of their, of their decisions. So when you moved here, was that a surprise to you? I mean, I, I moved here seven years ago, kind of the same thing. We, we just kind of looked you know, generally speaking, we saw there was no state income tax. We saw it as the wild, wild west. We thought it would be a great chance to take advantage of opportunities. And then people move here and then they see this labyrinth maze of challenges for anyone that wants to start a small business. But worse yet, there's not much out there to help people navigate through this maze. I mean, it, it seems like you go from one website to another. There's a lack of communications. I mean, is that some of the same stuff you've noticed? Absolutely. So just in what my wife does and some of the other small business owners that I've spoken with you know, on this campaign, there are people don't realize how many different agencies there are within in Clark County. So if you were going to build a house, you have to go through something like nine different agencies within the county. If you're going to start a business, you have to go through a licensing agency that lets you know if you can even do the occupation that you're going to do. And then you have to go through a um, another agency that is over the business itself. And then depending on what business you have, you've got all of these uh, these uh, regulations that we were just talking about. You know, I think that there are a few different problems. One is that right now on the county commission, we've got, I believe, six of the seven county commissioners are attorneys. So these are people who are not and most of them don't work for themselves. So they're people who never try to start their own business. They don't own a restaurant. They don't own a boutique. They've never, you know, they've never really hustled the way that a lot of people have to hustle in Clark County and get a business going. So they don't they just can't empathize with what people go through. Um, so that's a that's a big issue. And it all comes back to the same problem, which is that since 2008, for the last 14 years, we've had every single member of the Clark County Commission, all seven have been from the same party. And that's created a system where these people listen to certain lobbyists and they care about certain issues. And when you're a small business owner, they see you as 
you know, not in their party. They see you as somebody who comes second to the big businesses because really it's it's easier probably to start a big, uh, you know, like a, a, a casino or something like that, a really big business. It's almost as easy. I don't I don't want to say that it's as easy, but comparatively for what their resources are and who they've got working for them it's probably easier to start a bigger business than it is a small business. And that goes back to the whole uh, mob mentality, the corruption, the, all the problems that come along with this 14 years of, of one party reign. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you had mentioned your wife and she's, she's lovely. I've seen her on the campaign trail. She's always with you at all these various events. And when you've got conflicting schedules, she's at one event while you're in the other. So how, how did you meet Sarah and what, and you mentioned the small business. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you met your wife and what she does now. Yeah. So Sarah and I actually went to the same undergrad, but we were spaced out enough so that we didn't know each other, but we met after I went to grad school and came back, back to Nashville. She was working for uh, the National Federation of Independent Business, actually. So she was working for a good small business uh, uh, sort of association kind of lobbying group. And she was going back to Vanderbilt to get her master's in public policy. And she's got a master's in ed policy. I've got a master's uh, in economic policy. So uh, we met at a party and we're talking about that. And I tried to convince her to date me and she didn't. And then it took about eight more years after that before she finally... Uh, Either wise, you know, got smart enough to, to date me or I beat her to death a lot, you know, broke down the walls <laughs> enough to where she finally gave in and dated me. But uh, we've been together now for 12 years. And what she does for a living, it, I, I love this. So as I mentioned earlier, I work at uh, nonprofits whose job it is to advance liberty. And a lot of the, these places work with organizations uh, in developing countries, in places that don't have a lot of freedom. Uh, and so Sarah works with these same groups to help them with marketing. And so she talks about how to market the ideas of liberty. Uh, she does graphic design, those sorts of things. But this sort of uh, combination of the two of us has been really cool because I can go and write a white paper or do investigative research for uh, a think tank and she can go and help them message sort of uh, some of the things that come out of that. And it's led us to go to places all around the world. These, uh, these scarves back behind me are actually some of the places we visit. Uh, when we go to a different town, we try to buy a scarf for their local soccer team or baseball team or whatever they've got going on there, hockey team. But it looks like you have places, quite a few. Got uh, about 70 of them. Um, so you've got, you, you two travel quite a bit. Yeah, we've been to about 70 countries. I know you travel a lot as well. Um, but we, the thing that I like the most about our, our jobs is we get to go to places that most people don't. I mean, we spent time in uh, Ethiopia and and uh, Zambia and Zimbabwe and places like that, uh, Albania and uh, Vietnam's a, a great place that we've been and done a lot of work trying to help people who either their government is oppressing them, helping them with civil rights, uh, trying to help uh, places where the business regulations are, are, are really uh, intrusive, like we were talking about earlier here in Clark County, trying to enable people to live their dream of entrepreneurship, uh, try to reduce taxes, try to give some uh, some internet freedom, some some uh, free speech rights. So I, I'm really fortunate that I get to do what I love professionally, which is advance liberty uh, with you know my wife, the person I love the most, and she shares those values. So it's it, it makes for a really enriching life, I think. Well, you guys are definitely a dynamic couple. So moving moving to the campaign. So I looked at your website earlier today, saw that you've got a lengthy list of endorsements, 
but, you know, tell us about some of your endorsements and how that has impacted your race. You know, I think the, I'm, I'm grateful for all the endorsements I've gotten. Obviously, a lot of business groups, a lot of taxpayer groups, veterans groups. The, the one that I think really shows the difference between me and my opponent is actually the police union. And as you can imagine, the police union doesn't endorse every Republican. But my opponent, Justin Jones, has been so anti-cop, so defund the police, so woke social justice warrior. He was the sort of person who would be throwing a brick through a window during a protest rather than trying to help the cops out. Uh, so obviously, I love our First Amendment rights. I think that a lot of the things that came after uh, George Floyd and, and specifically Breonna Taylor uh, have been really positive. The changes in policy have been really positive. But then you've got people like Justin Jones, who it seems like his job is to vilify the police, to defund the police, to reduce the amount of uh, power that they have to fix problems. He's made it so that it's almost impossible for them to clean up the strip, to help homeless people. It's just gotten ridiculous. And the police association saw that and uh, the Police Protective Association and said, you know, we're even though you're uh, a challenger to an incumbent, uh, even though uh, if you lose, he wins, he can be, you know, punitive and retaliatory. We don't care because you're the guy we want. You, we know that you care about us and our attempts to clean up crime. And they're tired of people like Justin Jones who are making it more divisive in the community. So hopefully I can work with the police and with the community to create a better understanding because the thing that's driving up crime right now uh, obviously, the economy's got something to do with it, but you know the the police just don't feel welcome in the community, and a lot of that is narratives created by people like Justin Jones. Hmm. So we know where you stand on small business. You're very pro small business. Uh, you just talked about law enforcement, right? Rule of law on crime. You're strong. Let's talk about education. Where are you on education? So I started a think tank when I was. 23, 24 years old. And it, it's, if you're familiar with the Nevada Policy Research Institute, it's it's that, but in Tennessee. And think tanks, their job is basically to give good lawmakers good ideas. So when I started this think tank, I believed in it so much. I lived in my car for months, um, just trying to scrape money together, raise money for this nonprofit, get it going. The reason I started this nonprofit is to advance school choice, to make it so that parents in failing schools and here you know in tennessee when i was there we're talking about inner city memphis inner city nashville places where there uh wasn't a lot of hope for students who didn't have another place to go to give them an opportunity to go to a uh a more successful school a school that fits them better and so we were able to do that once i got the think tank up and running uh we passed uh esa's uh, savings accounts uh you know, scholarships, vouchers, um, whatever you want to call them. And then we also passed a huge expansion to charter schools. So when I started the think tank, there were only 12 charter schools allowed in the entire state. And uh, by the time I left, I think we were up to 120. So that seeing that has been one of the real um, most gratifying things I think I've done with my career, because I was able to start an organization that gave the ideas for how to do these things. And now there are tens of thousands of kids who are able to go to 
schools that they wouldn't normally be able to go to because of some of the work we've done. And, and you know, to think that a kid got out of some terrible school and is able to go to a school that serves them and now can go to college or go to into the trade they want or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it brings me a lot of a lot of pride. So this is fantastic stuff. And you know what? It's it's on those three issues on the economy with small business on rule of law and on education, there's a clear contrast between you and the incumbent. So when you knock on the doors, what what are you finding with residents? Uh, you know, we've had this pandemic, there's been all these unfair restrictions. So when you knock on the doors, and I know you knock on the doors every day, what are you hearing from the residents regarding your race and the incumbent? There's a lot of frustration with uh, Justin Jones, because, you know, at the county commission level, we can talk about, you know, do we believe in uh, this philosophy of government, how should we approach this and that? But ultimately, it comes down to, you know, is is my trash being picked up? Are the street lamps, uh, when the lights are burned out at the street lamps, are those replaced? Uh, how long is my commute in the morning? Stuff like that. And you have my incumbent who has, he was actually bragging. He posted this on Instagram. He had 17,000 unread emails. And 17,000? Thousand. Wow. And he was bragging about that. And a lot of those are from constituents. And when I knock on doors, a lot of people say, I was trying to build a casita in my backyard and it took me a year before I could get an answer from Justin Jones's office. I was, you know, I had a, a pothole down the road from me and I wanted the county to look at that. Um, you know, the animal shelter is doing a terrible job and nobody's looking into that. And over and over I, again, I hear how unresponsive Justin Jones is. He does not return phone calls. He actually told a constituent that he listens to donors first. And so that kind of tells you where his mind is. His wife works for Kamala Harris in D.C. You know, he he controls all these PACs for liberal uh, uh, candidates. He's more interested in trying to be a kingmaker and be the next Harry Reid. Uh, of course, his wife worked for Harry Reid for 25 years. So this is his mentality. He does not care about the people in District F. And that's all I care about. I'm just, I'm running because I'm so frustrated. Obviously I've got a, a great job and a great life and am happy doing that. But I, I'm so frustrated by these, this 14 years of one party rule, not listening to constituents, just listening to the people who give them uh, campaign donations. I hope that by me running and hopefully winning, I'll be able to give people a voice because 70% of the people in this county aren't registered as Democrats. And so there are 70% of the people uh, for whom government uh, doesn't work. They're not represented by the people in office. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm running to give people a voice and to make sure that their voice is heard when they've got, you know, these problems that aren't big enough for Justin Jones to care about. So I, I took a look at some numbers. You have a very competitive race, even though your competitors outspending you, the numbers are really, really tight. And it's really going to boil down to hard work. Let's make the assumption that you get the good news on election day and you win. What is the first thing you're going to do? There are three things that I want to do, you know, as soon as I'm inaugurated. The first thing is to put all spending and then all votes online. So we're the biggest county in America that doesn't put its spending online. And believe it or not, it's almost impossible to find out how your county commissioner voted on things. You have to download these PDFs, you know, it, by hand. That, that's, sorry to interrupt out. you, but that's crazy. I mean, it's you think about during the pandemic, billions of dollars coming to our state in COVID money. 
And people, and I, I know my neighbors ask, where did all this money go? Yeah, and it's almost impossible to see. So you can't see how people vote, how your seven county commissioners voted. And then you cannot, most counties, most every state, the federal government, almost every city, they put the spending online. So there's basically a virtual check register, if you want to think about it like that, or a, or a, uh, a credit card um uh, receipt that shows how money is being spent by the government. They do not do that here. And it's very intentional. All the line items are very uh, vague and, you know, a million dollars for this, but it doesn't show the contractors that receive money, things like that. So there's really, it's, it's almost impossible as a guy who, you know, for a living, I do open records requests, do uh, government oversight. They've made it so difficult that you have to have almost my skill set as like a, a journalist watchdog to be able to know how your money's being spent. And that should be much easier. Wrong. Exactly. So those are the first two things. The third thing that I, I desperately want to do, especially because all the money has not been raised yet and it's not been finalized, is change the name of the airport to the Las Vegas International Airport, which is what 84 percent of the people in this county want. It's ridiculous that we spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year getting the Las Vegas brand out globally and people from Singapore, people from Sydney, people from, you know, uh, Johannesburg fly into the, to the Harry Reid international airport. Like who the hell is Harry Reid to these people? And to think that our County commissioner, you know, ticks, Hick Siegelbaum who uh, voted for it kind of led this charge is, was a very close friend of Harry Reid's. Uh, my opponent, Justin Jones, his wife worked for Harry Reid as her number two person, her, his policy person uh, for 25 years to to name somebody. It's just such such nepotism to name the airport after this guy. I, I remember during the pandemic when people were struggling to think that the Clark County commissioners were focused on naming and renaming an airport when small businesses were being shut down, while kids were being forced into failed distance learning. Uh, it just it just shows. I mean, I hate to say it. It shows a little political arrogance on their part. Right. And that's what they get the opportunity to have when it's seven Democrats and there's no Republican. And and that's what I hope to bring. I mean, a lot of people, when I knock the doors, Rudy, they say, you know, there, you're going to be one guy out of seven. You're going to lose a lot of, of votes. But I respond to them, you know, if it's the right person, if it's the right Republican, if it's somebody who knows how to look at budgets, if it's somebody who's not scared to stand up to power, which those are that's what I do for a living. The right person can stop a lot of bad stuff from happening because I can embarrass them so much that they won't do things like try to rename the airport in the middle of COVID. I mean, that's that sort of stuff has no place. And if I can say, you know, there are a lot of people who won't appreciate this if they find out about it then I think a lot of those things won't ever come up for a vote. And this, the second thing that makes me um, optimistic about the sort of power and influence that I can have, even though I would be the only non-Democrat, is that there are reasonable Democrats on the county commission. My opponent is not one of them. He's probably the most liberal elected official in the state. But you've got people who vote occasionally for lower taxes and for uh, less regulation and in sort of pro-business ways. And typically there are three of them. And so if I can replace this, the socialist that I'm running against and be a fourth pro-business voice, you know, we don't have to all be Republicans. We just have to care about what's best for for our county. And I think that we can add that fourth person and actually win a lot of things. 
That's that's so true. And you know, Drew, thanks for joining us. If people want to learn more about you, if people want to step up and support you, where can they find out more information? Absolutely. My website is Drew for Nevada, all spelled out, Drewfornevada.com. There you can go to learn more about the race. You can learn the district is kind of funny. Basically, if you're on the west side of the county, you're in uh, in our district, but uh, check and see where the lines are to see if you're in the district. As I always like to say, if uh, if you can't vote for me, the good news is you can still donate. Uh, so you can go on the website and donate. And then we're very, uh, very active on social media. We love engaging with people on social media. And all those uh, handles are just at Drew for Nevada. Uh, so check us out there. Awesome. Drew, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for your time. I think it was a great opportunity for voters to get to know a little bit more about you and Sarah and, and what your vision is and what you want to accomplish for Clark County. And of course, thanks to everyone that's tuning in, watching the Nevada Republican Club limited online series election 2022 meet the candidates. This one was with Drew Johnson. So thank you to all.